Welcome to another edition of the Conversations That Matter podcast. My name is John Harris. I am pleased to have a guest with me today who's going to help us navigate um, a, a topic that's been around for a while, but it's becoming more popular now, and that is Bitcoin. We have Jimmy Song with us. He's a programmer. Um, he's written uh, two books, uh, Programming Bitcoin, The Little Bitcoin Book, and he's contributed to a Christian book called Thank God for Bitcoin. I've, I've gotten a few chapters into that. And uh, you can find his material at ProgrammingBitcoin.com. Jimmy, thank you for stopping by and being willing to explain this to us. Well, thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be on. I've been a fan of yours for a while, so uh, glad to be on the show. Well, that, that is very kind of you to say that. Um, I want to start off just with a, a basic question for uh, all the listeners out there uh, to hear you answer, and that is, um, what's wrong with traditional investments, land, money, mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, really, we're coming back to money. Uh, mm. You know, if, if you're a have ten million dollars, you know, aren't you pretty mm. secure for the future? What What's the problem with that thinking? Yeah, uh, the unfortunate reality of the current monetary system is that uh, if you have the U.S. dollar or the Japanese yen or the euro or something like that, um, it's essentially a melting ice cube. Is how I would describe it. It's constantly being debased uh, by all of the money printing that's going on. Um, it used to be that the dollar was convertible to gold. In fact, every currency in the world at one point was convertible to gold. But uh, starting in 1971, that uh, tie to gold was severed by Richard Nixon uh, in 1971 uh, with sort of an executive order. Um, as a result of that, whenever any central, uh, any central bank can ex essentially expand the money supply to their heart's content, and that means that um, you know, your savings in dollars uh, gets reduced every time that happens. So for example, the M2 money supply, which is a measure of how many dollars that exist, uh, started uh, at the beginning of 2020 was $15.5 trillion. It ended 2020 at $19.5 trillion. So that's an expansion of something like 30%. Um, and that affects your savings. So you can think of your savings as having diluted. So even if you have $10 million, it just sort of diluted 30%. Now, you might not feel that right away, but, you know, go try buying something kind of expensive like real estate or, uh, you know, pro sports team or something like that. Uh, those things are going up at much faster rates than, say, eggs or milk or jeans or something like that. So as a result, uh, what, what you have is uh, a system that perpetuates sort of inequality, a lot of grift and a lot of theft, uh, as we argue in the book, uh, that that are really kind of, uh, you know, immoral and really kind of put the wrong incentives in and cause a lot of strife for a lot of people. And of course, you know, this is where the some of the Christian moral principles come to play, uh, as you mm. just mentioned with stealing. Um, mm. I know that at the beginning of our republic, uh, there was kind of an effort really up until probably Lincoln, there, there was an effort uh, of the more Jeffersonian Democrats to get rid of the National Bank because they just thought, saw that, thought that was the worst thing. And of course, now we have a federal reserve system. And um, it, I mean, it, it's, it's such a monstrosity. Uh, there's really not much, uh, you know, politically that seems that we can do about that. But um, there are other investments. And this is why I wanted to have you on is for the Christians, uh, especially in the audience who have um, invested in, in traditional uh, things, uh, obviously money, but gold, property, um, they're not familiar with another investment, many of them, 
uh, and that's cryptocurrency. And you seem to know a lot about this. So what are the advantages of um, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency in general? Yeah, uh, so the current monetary system is horribly broken. And I, I think uh, you, you sort of hinted at this. The first and second national banks of the United States were um, central banks that expanded the money supply. They were sort of able to retire the debt from the revolution and so on through doing that and the war of 1812 with the second bank and so on. Um, but you know, that was essentially stealing from the savings of everybody else. Now, the fact that the United States at that time was expanding so quickly um, in terms of agricultural production and industrial production allowed it to sort of hide uh, some of the theft that the government was doing through those. And Andrew Jackson very courageously ended the second natural, national bank, and he was able to get a balanced budget, which um, I don't think he gets enough credit for. Um, yeah. Now, that said, uh, the current system uh, makes it so that it is very difficult to save money uh, or save store value, right? Like to store for the future. Um, and in fact, pretty much anyone that has any amount of wealth has to spend an inordinate amount of time uh, you know, trying to preserve their wealth. Uh, they, they have to look into different investments, uh, kind of like what you're saying. Uh, you know, you have to look into gold and land and stocks and bonds and all sorts of different vehicles because they know that if they keep it in cash, it's constantly being debased. So you're, you're going to lose money if you try to stand still. It's a, uh, a system that forces you to sort of run on a treadmill in order to stand, stay in the same place. Um, the, the reason for that is sort of the economic philosophy of most of these uh, uh, countries that have a central bank and uh, pretty much every country nowadays does. And it's kind of imposed by the IMF, which I won't go into right now. But basically, uh, you know, they want the money to circulate through the economy. They call that the velocity of money. And this is a very Keynesian concept of, uh, you know, if the money sluices through the economy, then the healthier we are. It doesn't matter what you spend it on. That's sort of the Keynesian uh, philosophy there. Um, but because of that, uh, whenever you have a place to park money, well, that money's not moving. And so that that is essentially what a store of value is, somewhere to park your money. So um, the current system is, uh, is sort of almost designed to make it very hard to put park your money in any one place. Uh, the few places that we do have that are places like stocks, gold, and real estate. And you'll notice with all of them, at least with physical gold anyway, um, there's a lot of transaction costs. Uh, you know, you're, if, you, if you order physical gold, they have to actually ship it to you. And if it's a significant amount, then you're going to have to hire armed guards to bring it to you and so on. Um, if it's uh, real estate, you know all of the different fees that go into it. There's a lot of people that are very rich because they get in the middle of that transaction in order to... Uh, you know, facilitate the transferring of property. Um, stocks also, you know, there, there's a lot of different ones. There's commissions, there's all sorts of um, uh, different things that are going on. And you'll notice that all of these have gone up significantly in the past year. And the reason for that is because the Fed is printing just so much money. There's uh, $6 trillion or something to that effect that the Fed has essentially made available uh, to the economy in order to shore up uh, all of the stuff that's gone down with coronavirus and so on. So as a result, uh, there, are, there really aren't very good stores of value. And on top of that, uh, a lot of the stores of value are not very fungible. Uh, uh, one property in the middle of San Francisco is very different than, you know, a farmhouse in Iowa or something like that. So 
um, a similar thing with stocks, right? Uh, Tesla stock is not the same as, you know, American Express or whatever. They're, they're very different and you get, uh, you get this sort of perception of luck that comes into it or a lot of study and a lot of, uh, you know, insider knowledge that you need in order to do it. Uh, the nice thing about Bitcoin is that it is scarcer than all of those things. It's, it's a, it, there's a fixed 21 million limit. Uh, it's digital and it's decentralized. Decentralized meaning that uh, there's no central entity that controls the supply. Um, and that is uh, very different than the dollar. It's more akin to gold, where if I wanted to go search for gold by uh, you know, taking a shovel to my backyard and digging for it, I can. Probably not going to be successful, but it is something that I can do. Um, in the same way, Bitcoin is such that anyone can try to mine for it. it. You're probably not going to be successful. You can actually try to mine with your phone, but it's uh, extremely unlikely, like, like, you know, many orders of magnitude unlikely uh, uh, than like even taking a shovel to your backyard looking for gold. Uh, but it, in principle, it is decentralized. And for that reason, uh, it's, it, it's a lot better and it's... Uh, perfectly scarce in the sense that there's only 21 million that will ever be. And there's uh, fungibility, like um, a, 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 an insider uh, investor in Silicon Valley ha gets the exact same Bitcoin as a farmer from Jakarta. Um, so that uh, makes it a lot more fair, a lot easier, and, uh, and you don't have to worry about it as much. And you can put your uh, you know, money, time, and energy into doing other things that are more productive for civilization. Now, one of the things I know people are, are thinking about right now, as you explained all that, is how in the world do they limit it to 21 million? And what about counterfeit mm -hmm. Bitcoin? And, and I know the blockchain technology is part of mm -hmm. what keeps this secure. Could you explain that? Yeah, sure. So, um, when you, uh, so I'm going to make the analogy to uh, your bank, right? Like if, when you go and deposit some money at your bank, um, what they don't do is take your money and put it into a drawer uh, that's named John or something and then, and then say, okay, that, that's where your money is. That, that's not what they do. They, they put the money into their vault or something like that. And then they put, uh, put your name on the ledger and put plus $500 or however much you deposited. And when you transfer money, uh, write a check to somebody else at the bank uh, or to your friend, um, that money gets debited from your account and added to that other person's account. That's, uh, that's how ledgers work. Um, the Bitcoin blockchain is essentially the, uh, the ledger for absolutely everybody. And amazingly, this, this works really well because everyone has a copy of that ledger and you can validate that everything balances and so on. And uh, part of the rules of the software that runs is there, there's a particular schedule of Bitcoin coming into existence. And this is where you know, the mining analogy comes in handy. It's, it's kind of like uh, digging for gold. And um, you know, every 10 minutes, there's a certain amount of Bitcoin that comes into existence and has from the beginning. Uh, so at the very beginning, it was 50 Bitcoins every 10 minutes. Uh, current, uh, and then four years later, it was 25. Four years later, it was 12 and a half. Currently, it's 6.25 Bitcoins that come into existence. And every four years, it halves so that it asymptotically goes to 21 million. 
and the software enforces this and makes sure that the ledger balances, that there aren't any illegal transactions, that are, there aren't transactions that are creating new money and so on. Um, and it's very easy to figure out if, you're, if the Bitcoins that you're being sent are legitimate. You just check the ledger. Uh, does this person actually have the coins that they're uh, sending to you? Is, is it actually in the ledger? If it is, then it's very clear that uh, that it's a legitimate transaction. If it's not, then you can uh, you can find out. And in fact, most Bitcoin wallets that exist do this kind of automatically in the background and say, okay, well, you already received it or you didn't and so on. So that that's how that works. So I, I just got my first Bitcoin wallet this week. I've been mm -hmm. a holdout. I, I know it spiked, mm -hmm. what was that, 2017 or so, there was a big spike mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and it kind of went down again. And now it's spiking like it never has. So I, I, I went, I have an Electrum. I don't know if that's a good one or not, but mm -hmm. that's, that's the, a decent one. Yeah. Okay. So that's the, the program that I downloaded. And um, I, I went to just, I, I just, like like someone who's green into this i i just google they're not google i duck duck go there we go that's the new one i'm using um <laughs> uh you know buy bitcoin and it took me to mm -hmm. a website and i bought some bitcoin and um and it wasn't that difficult there was there's a little mm -hmm. bit of a fee and so forth um could you just practically walk us through um uh what programs um mm -hmm. what you know how versatile is this you know can you have it on your phone and pay for things at a restaurant you know what uh, what is this good for and how do we attain it, especially if this is something we've never done before? Yeah, so uh, the easiest way to attain it is through exchanges. And there's a lot of different exchanges. Um, and depending on what part of the world you happen to be in, there, there's many options. In the United States, you have Gemini, Ipid, Coinbase, River, Cash App, um, you know, uh, Kraken and many others. Uh, probably the easiest way for people that are sort of like, a little bit hesitant about the tech stuff is uh, you can use something like Cash App or River Financial. Uh, those are pretty good. Cash App is especially nice because uh, it's uh, you know it's integrated. It's a lot like Venmo. Uh, you can send people money back and forth. Uh, but one of the options that it has is the ability to buy Bitcoin directly from the app, and um, it's already hooked up to your debit account, a debit account at a bank or whatever, and you can just uh, go go and buy it fairly easily. And uh, and if you need to send somebody Bitcoin, they they have that function as well. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of different ones. Uh, River is especially good if you want to do something called dollar cost averaging. Um, and, you know, it, because Bitcoin's price is just so volatile, it's, uh, you know, a lot of people get tempted to just try to time the market and, you know, buy when it dips and so on. Um, what I found is that the people that are looking to buy the dip generally never get in because it's never low enough for them. And when it dips, they're like, oh, I'll just wait for it to dip more and so on. So uh, from a psychological point uh, standpoint, it's, it's a lot easier if you're just saying, all right, I'll buy $10 a week, $100 a week or whatever. Um, so river.com, that's, a, that's another, another excellent uh, wallet and so on. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the, these, uh, there, there are many that exist all over the world. If you live in um, you know, Korea, there's different ones. There, there's ones in Turkey, um, in Bahrain, and Europe, and Africa, and I mean, literally all, all of these. Now, as far as your other question goes, which is, how, uh, you know, can you pay for things with it? You can, um, but what I found is that most people don't want to. It, um, 
this is more their savings and not their spending money. Um, so if you if you think of it as uh, like um, as digital gold or something like that. When's the last time like you use gold to go pay for something? I mean, right. you, you can, there, there might be some people that would take it, uh, but generally that that's not the main use case. There's, there's a lot of technology already for paying for stuff, right? Um, not only do we have credit cards, we also have Venmo and Cash App and, um, uh, you know, uh, Octopus card and Google pay and Apple pay and Samsung pay and, uh, and M-Pesa in Africa and WeChat in China. And I mean, just the, the, there's just so many different ones and they all exist for a reason. They're probably taking a small cut to make things more convenient and so on. But, uh, you know, the main use case for Bitcoin, like I said before, is to store value across time. And, uh, you know, it, it's done uh, like anyone that's held Bitcoin for uh, at any at any point, pretty much uh, in the last, you know, 10, uh, 12 years of its existence has made money uh, on it because it is perfectly scarce. And uh, as we argue in the book, it's it's a lot closer to what God designated Bitcoin to uh designated money to be, which is storing, uh, storing the value that you provided other people to, uh, to uh, with your labor and so on. Now, I, I want to ask a, a question for those who are skeptical mm -hmm. about this, because they, they're mm -hmm. saying, Jimmy, I, I, I've heard you talk about the scarcity of it, um, the mm -hmm. blockchain technology, which makes sure it's secure. Mm -hmm. um, this might be a good savings things to, he to hedge against what's going to happen with the dollar, etc. Mm -hmm. But um, it, you know, Bitcoin is only as valuable as, you know, the, the value people ascribe to, ascribe to it, which is why mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of volatile at times. And, uh, mm -hmm. and then if you have it, it's stored on your hard drive or, or hard drive somewhere on your phone or whatever. And, you know, if you, if something goes wrong with that, where's my Bitcoin? Mm -hmm. um, so could you speak to those two issues? What about the, the volatile nature mm -hmm. um, of, of Bitcoin or, or the perceived nature? And then, you know, what if uh, something happens to your hard drive where you have, you know, thousands mm -hmm. of dollars of Bitcoin or millions, perhaps? Uh, mm -hmm. Where does that all go? Okay, yeah. So let me speak to the volatility first. That that is uh, that is a reality of Bitcoin, and it's been that way for a long time. Anytime you have sort of like the monetization of an asset, it tends to do that. Um, so, uh, you know, I mean, a lot of people view the '70s like oil crisis as uh, something energy related. Actually, it was because the U.S. went off the gold standard, and then they made it so that the what that oil was uh, you know denominated in the dollar so there was sort of like a monetization of oil that created a lot of volatility around oil in the 70s so um, that that sort of thing is kind of common uh, and does happen with 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 things like Bitcoin um, but that volatility is also why it's uh, it, it go you know it breaks upward um, if it went up on a you know, slow and steady rate, um, you know, I mean, no asset exists kind that, that does that, that just sort of goes up at a steady rate over a very long period of time. You're going to expect some level of volatility. There, there's a lot of FOMO and a lot of, uh, a lot of people that um, sort of pile on at, at, at certain points. And, um, you know, you, you get bubbles and human psychology and all that uh, sort of plays into it. Uh, so I, there, there is volatility, but generally over, if you, if you hold over four years, I, I don't think there's ever been a period of four years where if you bought 
four years before and then uh, you know sold four years later, like you wouldn't have made money at least in dollar terms and so on. Um, so that that's uh, volatility. As far the other question is more around security and custody. So it really is like gold in the sense that uh, if you're holding your own Bitcoin, it's kind of like having a gold bar in your house or uh, you know buried in your backyard or whatever. Um, if you lose it, you really lose it. And uh, and this is not something that we're used to as a uh, you know as as a generation. I mean, it, this used to be much more common, like say 150 years ago, where people sort of kept things. Uh, but you know, during the last 70 years of sort of the financialization of uh, of pretty much everything around the world, they've taken out bearer instruments. Uh, bearer instruments are things that you hold um, and you know, if you can't present it, then you've actually lost it. Stocks used to be like that. Bonds used to be like that. Um, a lot of things used to be like that, but now they're all sort of like held by custodians and so on. Um, so part of it, part of uh, learning all of this is just learning to be responsible for your own stuff um, instead of relying on a third party, because oftentimes it's the third party that actually steals from you. Um, and that that's that's part of the learning that you have to do. Now that said, uh, one of the nice things about Bitcoin is that it has security properties that no other asset can, uh, including multi-sig. Uh, this is the idea that you can have something kind of like, um, I, I'm sure you've heard of like, uh, <laughs> sorry. So, no, I'm sorry about that. I uh, Something knocked my uh, my camera here. So we're, <laughs> we're back. <laughs> Speaking of volatility, yeah, I'm just going to, so sorry about that. Yeah, it's okay. Go ahead. So, uh, so you you have something like uh, multi-sig, and uh, the best way to describe it is, uh, you know how the president has like one of the nuclear footballs, but there's like two other ones, and you need two of three of them in order to do the launch code. Right. Um, so you could you could do something similar with your Bitcoin, where you you have something like multi-sig. So even if you lose one, you have the other two or something like that, and it could be sort of arbitrary. It could be three of five or seven of eleven or something like that. Um, in addition, there are services that will help you set up this stuff. Um, so Unchained Capital, which is uh, in my hometown, um, they they specialize in helping people secure their Bitcoin. So you might have literally millions of dollars in Bitcoin. Um, they will hold one of the keys for you. So they can't move your Bitcoins or send it to themselves. So they don't have custody. But if you have the other two keys and maybe one of them is in a bank vault or something like that, um, you can always transact uh, whenever you want with their help. And if they go bankrupt or something, you can get the one out of your bank vault and then you can do something. But if you lose that one, then you still have recourse to go and recover your funds. So um, from a security standpoint, it's, it's a lot more robust. You, there are more options and uh, you know, uh, there, there's a lot of different ways in which you can secure it. Um, there, there are even more solutions coming down the line, including like, um, you know, you can spend it or if you happen to lose your phone, then, you know, you can, you can uh, spread, uh, you, you can get three of five of your friends to coordinate and give you back your coins or something like that. Um, and th those are solutions that are probably maybe like a year away, uh, but th those are coming as part of the Bitcoin protocol. What about transferring? So I have, this mm -hmm. is a very practical question for me, mm -hmm. I'm asking, but I have my Electrum wallet, right? And mm -hmm. I have different, um, I'm not, I'm actually opening it uh, mm -hmm. right now just to take a look. Uh, there's different, um, I don't know what, what you would call them. Let's see, I got the right password here. There we go. Uh, addresses, different addresses. Are we getting that mm -hmm. right? 
So yeah. I have a limited amount, but I have, you know, quite a few. And so I've done two transactions so far and I have um, different amounts in two different addresses. And if I want to transfer those amounts, let's say to my phone or to mm -hmm. another wallet, um, how easy is that to do? Okay. Well, you would just need the address of wherever you're sending it. It could be to yourself or to other people or whatever. As soon as they give you that address over email, text, or you know, even a QR code or something like that. Um, if it's a QR code, you're, you usually scan it with your phone or something. Um, and then you input that into the software and say, this is where I want to send uh, my Bitcoins. And this is the amount that I want to send it. And the wallet will figure out, um, you know, uh, the transaction that needs to be signed and it, uh, using the private key that's on the phone or on whatever device um, that it will sign that transaction and broadcast it to the network. At okay. that point, it, uh, it goes into uh, the network and uh, you know, it, you'll, you might have to wait a little bit until it's confirmed, but then, then it's confirmed and you could do that. You know, I, I can send to somebody on the other side of the world. So it's relatively um, easy. It's yeah. like depositing a check. I mean, yeah, um, yeah, and it clears a lot faster, right? And this is part of the nice thing is, uh, if you know anything about like settlement, it's I, you know you might think that you're actually getting things right away, but um, the uh, you know if you if you know anything about like uh, how things settle on the on the back end, it, it's usually like three to five days. So if you execute a stock trade. Um, it feels like it's right away, but the actual settlement happens like three days later when when uh, the clearinghouse actually, um, you know, adjusts all the accounts and so on. And all, all of those things are in the background, so you don't really know about it. Uh, but with Bitcoin, it, it settles. It's it's done. It's, uh, you know, it's it, like you really gave, gave it to the other person and you no longer have possession of it. So um, in that way, it's uh, it's a little more permanent and you can't really claw it back or appeal to somebody to get that, um, which is pretty important given sort of what a lot of a uh, lot of conservatives, especially in the in the world today are going through. So, uh, yeah, that that. Wow. Um, yeah. So, you know, that's fascinating to me. And mm -hmm. I mean, as someone new to this, um, mm -hmm. I wanted to just pick your brain on that because I have gone to restaurants uh, where mm -hmm. I've seen them, at least. I'm, I'm not sure mm -hmm. if I've been there or people have just sent me pictures of things, but there are businesses now that are accepting Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. um, and and you can go in you can and I, I never understood really how it works i guess you whip out your phone you have some there and you can just you know mm -hmm. buy your coffee or whatever you're getting um mm -hmm. and i'm wondering if the future is going to look more like that with um with especially with with the incoming administration and the monetary mm -hmm. policy we're probably going to see uh, mm -hmm. if more businesses are going to start doing that kind of thing um or we'll yeah. see other uh cryptocurrencies pop up um well, so let, let me address the other cryptocurrency. Yeah, yeah, I wanted to get into it. Go ahead. <laughs> All right. So, um, so there, there's a lot of different cryptocurrencies right now. Um, I think last I checked, it's somewhere in the vicinity of 7,500 uh, different cryptocurrencies, and they're creating them every day, right? Like there, there are new ones that are being created all the time. Uh, now, I, I specifically tell people not to go to those uh, for a reason, and, uh, and you'll, uh, it, it's in... Um, chapter eight of our book, where we talk about that, um, uh, you know, why, why, you know, like the altcoins are, uh, very different than Bitcoin. So what, one of the key qualities of Bitcoin is that it's decentralized. There's no central authority. There's nobody that says, um, you know, that that's the adjudicator of everything. It's actually just pure software 
and uh, you know you either sent it or you didn't, and that's it. Um, the second most popular cryptocurrency is called Ethereum, and it was created by a guy named Vitalik Buterin back in 2014. And uh, and uh, because he created it, uh, uh, he printed for himself something uh, like you know like 10% of Ethereum, something like that. So. Most of these altcoins have a creator that printed money for themselves, right? It's not very different than fiat money, and uh, and in fact, that's that's sort of the scam is that they uh, they print the money for themselves and then they uh, you know sell it to other people based on some specious reasoning or something like that, um, and you know they they don't actually use it for what they quote unquote intended for. Uh, most people just use it as sort of speculation, gambling, something like that. And they're, they're all centralized. They have, uh, you know, at multiple points, they, they're, uh, they have a creator, often like a developer foundation. Uh, one of the things that Ethereum did back in 2016 was um, they had some incident on their platform where somebody was able to drain a, about one-sixth of all Ethereum that existed um, uh, away from uh, the people that had owned it because there was a flaw in the smart contract that they created. Um, they, uh, the Ethereum developers decided, okay, we're going to roll all, the, all of those back. It's, uh, it, and if that sounds like a bailout, that's because it was. Uh, they basically bailed out all the people that made the stupid decision to put it into this insecure smart contract. So like for me, all coins are not the same thing at all because they're all centralized. One of one of the one of the things that I, I, I tell people about Bitcoin is that Satoshi Nakamoto disappeared in 2010. And that was probably the best gift that Satoshi could have given to the entire Bitcoin community because by disappearing, it became decentralized. There, there was no central decision maker. There was nobody to appeal to and say, uh, can I get this money back? Or can, can I get your favor or something like that? Um, all of these other ones essentially work a lot like fiat currency and they, they print uh, their own money. And uh, unfortunately, there's a lot of grift and scamming and stealing and uh, taking advantage of people that don't understand what's going on. Um, but that, that, that would be... Uh, for all coins. So I, I forget what your other question was, though. Uh, so yeah, so, so do I. I don't know if I have one. Um, <laughs> I, I can come up with another one, though. Uh, mm -hmm. So if someone's listening to you right now, and they're saying, Jimmy, you're, you're making a very compelling case. Um, mm -hmm. And this is probably someone who's already kind of fed up with uh, the Federal mm -hmm. Reserve System and uh, mm -hmm. understand our, our dollars really aren't worth the paper they're printed on, uh, or they could be very soon. And um, they're going to invest in some some Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I want to know from you, someone who doesn't know anything about this, you tell me the mm -hmm. app, uh, where to go to buy it, um, mm -hmm. and how to store it. Mm. Okay. Um, I, I know a lot of people are probably not too happy with Jack Dorsey right now um, for a multitude of reasons, uh, but he does have a very easy way to buy Bitcoin, um, and it's called Cash App. And from what I'm told, he's actually a little bit hands off on Twitter, but he, he's much more involved in uh, Square, which is the company that puts out Cash App. So that's uh, an app that you can download on uh, Android or iPhone. Very easy. 
um, you put in your debit card and it lets you buy Bitcoin right away. You just have to click. Um, um, I think it, they actually have it so that you can also buy stocks and so on. But Bitcoin is the main one. Um, that makes it super easy. Uh, now, if you want custody of your Bitcoin, you're, you're really, if you're doing that, you're really custodying it with Square. They, they have your Bitcoin and they um, essentially they owe you uh, some Bitcoin and you, you have a claim against them, which is more or less how dollars work with banks. Uh, I don't know if you knew that, but if you have $5,000 at your bank, uh, you have a claim against the bank, but they can not give it to you if they don't want to. Right. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's kind of this, uh, you know, trusted third party that has uh, control of, uh, of everything. So it is nice to be able to control your own currency. And, uh, and actually, let me, let me tell a quick story. So the thing that put Bitcoin on the map was in 2010, um, PayPal cut its relationship with WikiLeaks. And I don't know if you remember back in 2010, but they were putting out a lot of very embarrassing, uh, you know, uh, you know, material to the United States government. So the U.S. government like pressure PayPal, like you can't let them take donations. So they cut off, uh, they essentially deplatform WikiLeaks uh, from, from, uh, from PayPal. So uh, after that, uh, they, WikiLeaks was looking for a way to get donations and, uh, and they found Bitcoin and they decided to take donations in Bitcoin at that, starting in 2010. Um, crazy uh, part of that is, uh, you know, like people started getting into Bitcoin that was around when Satoshi disappeared because there was a you know huge influx of users and so on. Uh, but that, that the amount that they actually got from in 2010 still funds them to this day because it was less than a dollar back in 2010. So they, uh, you know, even if they got like a $10 donation, it, it, that's a hundred Bitcoins, which is uh, worth like three, three and a half, $3.8 million or something like that right now. So um, it, it was, uh, you know, for them, it was like kind of revolutionary. Um, you know, I, I, I know that uh, Stripe, uh, you know, uh, is no longer, uh, um, they deplatformed the Trump uh, campaign, for example, so they, they won't process any of those. So um, for conservatives, I think it's pretty prudent to, you know, take possession of your stuff because all of these trusted third parties that uh, sort of uh, are there to uh, sort of enforce government mandates and so on, they're, they're going to start coming after people. And, uh, and this is just, I mean, you can't have gold, gold bars in your own house. That, that's another way to do it. Um, but, you know, like having some form of wealth or savings, because the first thing that, um, that everyone comes after, uh, well, so uh, one other story. So uh, the previous book that I wrote, Little Bitcoin Book, I was one of eight authors on that as well. And uh, one of my co-authors was Alex Gladstein of the Human Rights Foundation. And one of the things that he told me, uh, he, he works with human rights people all over the world, is the very first thing that a government does to you if they don't like what you are doing is to cut off all financial access. And this was why he was really interested in Bitcoin, because this happens everywhere. Is oh, yeah. If they don't like you, that's that's what they do. So you read about the, you know, the Holocaust even uh, way long before anyone even thought anyone knew that there were going to be the death camps and everything. It was there was a financial uh, war and people were stuck. People that mm -hmm. were previously very rich, you know, didn't mm -hmm. have anywhere to put their money or 
So, so I think that's what's going on now. And, you know, the technology makes it easier for them, but also makes it harder because of things like Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what do you suggest uh, if someone doesn't want to go with Cash App or mm-hmm. Jack Dorsey? <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, what, River the, Financial is pretty River. good. Okay. Um, I don't think they have a phone app, but you can go on their uh, website, river.com, I think it is. Um, a bunch of good guys. I'm actually having dinner with the CEO tonight. So, um, but okay. yeah, he, he, he's, a, he's a really good guy, uh, really under, understands stuff. Uh, there, there are um, uh, numerous other uh, other ones. Itbit. Um, I mean, Gemini is by the Winklevoss twins, so you can. I, I, I don't know how you feel about them, but uh, but you can you can use that exchange as well. Kraken's a pretty good one. Jesse Powell is a pretty good guy. He's the he's the CEO of Kraken. Um, uh, level.co. I, I don't want to shill them too much because I'm an advisor. So I, I feel like it'd be a little bit of a conflict of interest there. LVL.co. That's another one. Um, but yeah, there, there's, uh, I believe PayPal uh, has the option of being able to buy Bitcoin as well, which is kind of like full circle with, with the WikiLeaks stuff. Uh, but they, they have it so that um, you can't withdraw. So you can't take possession of your Bitcoin. So it's not nearly as good. Um, if you're in the stock market, you could do something similar with GBTC, which is a, uh, a ticker symbol created by Digital Currency Group. Um, and this is uh, run by Barry Silpert out in New York. And he, uh, he basically makes it so that you can have exposure to Bitcoin um, in sort of like a stock market context, except there tends to be a pretty significant premium to that. Uh, if you're interested in using your IRA funds or uh, retirement funds for this sort of thing, um, I, I, you know, there, there are numerous services that, uh, that can help you do that. Um, I, you know, I have a friend that does this for a living, right? He, uh, he helps people, uh, you know, get Bitcoin into their, uh, you know, self-directed IRA so that they, uh, they can sort of, uh, control that without having to, um, you know, put it into GBTC, which charges a 2% management fee and so on. So lots of different options. Um, I, I'm sure there are others. Um, there, there are certain, I, I think there, there was a fund that was launched maybe like two weeks ago, uh, like uh, with a 0.75 base or 75 basis point uh, management fee that lets you uh, invest in Bitcoin and they'll take care of everything and uh, give you the proceeds and so on. So uh, lots of different options depending on your particular needs and the level of investment that you might want to do. Um, it's obviously different if you if you have four hundred million dollars to invest versus like four hundred dollars. Um, right. th- those are those are um, you know very different uh, sort of. Do you uh, do you think the um, IRS is going to crack down on some of this? I'm just curious. And- <laughs> well, so the IRS had on their uh, on the tax form in 2020, like did you do any cryptocurrency transactions as, as a specific question on there? So um, they, they definitely are interested and, uh, and they're, they're keeping track and they, they uh, if I'm not mistaken, they hired a company to you know, do blockchain analysis to see if they can figure out you know, how much Bitcoin you might own and so on. So uh, if there's ever sort of any, uh, any kind of wealth tax, I imagine they would come after that. Um, there are ways if you, if you want to keep the upside of Bitcoin and not have to take capital gains and things like that, um, you can take out a loan against your Bitcoin. And this is one of the um, you know, other sort of ways to avoid taxes is uh, you know, get, get a loan in Bitcoin uh, against your Bitcoin and then that way you have the upside and you, you still have access to cash and so on. Um, and then you can roll that, um, 
roll that loan over if Bitcoin price increases or you can pay it back or sell some or whatever at the end of the term and, uh, and so on. So lots of different options. And from a financial and tax imp implication standpoint, there, um, you know, it depends on your particular need and, uh, and where your income bracket happens to be and so on. Fascinating. Well, uh, I, I do appreciate you explaining all that. There's, I'm, there's so many directions uh, that we could go, I'm sure. And you've written a few books. So if people want to go check those out, they can go to your website, programmingbitcoin.com. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, that, you know, I'm looking forward to getting involved in this uh, a little more um, mm -hmm. and in diversifying my own uh, savings, et cetera. Um, I, I don't know where it's going to go, but it's skyrocketing right now and it has been for a little while. So, um, so anyway, yeah, any it, final... it has because it's just better money. Um, and that, that's yeah. what we argue in the book. It's, uh, you know, it solves a lot of these problems of uh, centralization, which is essentially, you know, these government authorities sort of taking control of you through your money. Um, and that, that the unfortunate reality is that too many people sort of succumb to that. And uh, you know, being free of that, I think, uh, would be healthy for a lot of people. Uh, and, you know, one of the things we argue is that fiat money is in many ways kind of like, uh, you know, we call it like monetary Stockholm syndrome. You end up loving the thing that enslaves you. And uh, mm -hmm. too many people right now are very much enslaved to money and worship money, uh, whether they know it or not. Um, That's right. But, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and that's Proverbs says that, you know, the borrower is slave to the lender. Uh, and we are mm -hmm. commanded uh, as Christians, one of the principles in Proverbs is that, you know, the righteous man gives an inheritance to his children's children. And so that's mm -hmm. why I don't want to put my, my <laughs> all my eggs into uh, dollars, because I just don't mm -hmm. see that as being a viable, um, you know, uh, tender for the future. So uh, anyway, I appreciate it, Jimmy. Uh, God bless you. And if anyone wants to find out more, like I said, you can go to his website, which is programmingbitcoin.com. God bless. Well, I hope that was helpful for you. Uh, Jimmy Song is one of the big names in this field. It was really nice of him to give us his time. Go check out his books if you have more questions. This has been on my mind the last couple of weeks. I mean, we, we naturally... Uh, if we're in a, live in an area where there's a threat to our property, we lock our doors. We have tools for self-defense, etc. That's just part of being a good steward of what God has entrusted to us, right? That's how we care for others. We need to have resources to share with others if we're going to share. And if we've earned those resources, we, we try to protect that. So um, it's just part of being a responsible adult, really. And, uh, and we don't think of those things when it comes to perhaps the value that we've allocated uh, and we've given to banks. We just don't think of it as much naturally as, as we do about the physical things we have in our house. So um, that's why I wanted to have Jimmy on to talk about, hey, here's another way that you can try to uh, protect against um, what could possibly happen, especially in the next few years. And, and this was something that was smart even years ago to just have that. Um, so, so check it out. Uh, you don't have to, but if it's something that you know, you're know you listening and you think, well, maybe that's something I can get into, um, I, I would encourage you to do some more homework and get into it. I do want to um, make a, a few announcements, say a few things, give you some updates. Uh, number one, uh, people have asked about the Discerning Christians website. Where is it? It does exist, but it's not ready. <laughs> and uh, it, it's so we're on the verge. We've been on the verge now for weeks. Um, but uh, the main guy who's uh, putting this together, he has a full-time job, and this is just um, something that, uh, you know, we, we've been working on it the last few days, but, because um, I've, I've really said, we got to get this, we got to get this rolling out. Uh, but it's, it's, um, it's something that uh, we've been, we've been almost there, and, and here's what I want to say. I think uh, Friday or Saturday, 
um, we, we should be able to, it, it looks like we'll be able to, to, to run the, the beta test, uh, which means those who are patrons, you'll be able to test it out. We'll work out the kinks. And then hopefully in the next two weeks, we'll be able to open up for everyone. And that will be a networking tool. And you'll be able to put your church on there. If you have a church that's against the social justice movement, uh, biblically orthodox, uh, you'll be able to put yourself as an individual, register yourself. Um, you, you'll be able to use, uh, if you don't want to register yourself as um, as, a, as you know, a person, you can use an avatar or something, but we'll have an integrated map and you'll be able to find people. And we're, we're working on it, guys. There's a lot of things happening. Um, I mean, there's a lot of things that have happened so suddenly that have um, sucked up some of our time, especially in the last few weeks, my time. It's just prevented me from getting to some of those projects. But we, we understand the urgency. We, we're well aware. Uh, the second thing, many of you have asked me, uh, you've sent me the Russell Moore article and you want me to respond. I'm not going to respond to that. I don't, I mean, I, at this point, it's just, I don't think it's worth my time right now. Um, I have not read it uh, in its entirety. Some people have sent me some clips. It, it looks terrible, but it, it, it's a narrative we could have all already guessed. And that's kind of the main thing. Um, th this is just what we've been seeing for two years. Uh, and, and Russell Moore, um, just like a lot of the big evangelical leaders right now, uh, is, 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 going along with the play the media is trying to make. The, the play the media is making right now is um, every Trump, Trump supporter is that Buffalo man, you know, the shaman who practices shamanism. And he's, you know, he's a uh, environmental activist. I mean, he's not really a right wing guy, but he's kind of he's kind of a nut. And for, and, and right now he's he's not eating in, in prison because they're not giving him organic food. And he, he looks kind of like weird, right, or strange or different. And, um, and, you know, there's a picture of him. I think it was in Na Nancy Pelosi's seat or something. It was somewhere He in the Capitol. There's a few pictures of him. And uh, and all Christians are, you know, who supported Trump are him. Uh, everyone who voted for Trump, you know, that's who they are. That's who they're supporting. And um, it's 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 a play that we could have kind of anticipated just just without even having to read the article. We know what the, the point that's being made. And, and, of course, the hypocrisy is overwhelming. We know this. We've talked about it with the BLM riots, et cetera. Um, we know. Now, um, I, I will say two things uh, for you because, as you know, if you haven't seen them, you know, I've already put out my experience, uh, and I didn't go into the Capitol or anything, but um, I, I was part of the, the, the peaceful rally that took place that day, as were the vast majority. I'm talking like 98.5%, 99% of the people there. Um, had no clue what was going on inside the Capitol. I was part of that group. And uh, th there was, you know, we, we were just there to, to basically say, hey, we, we want to show some solidarity with those who uh, believe that this was, um, and, and, I, and I can be careful now what I say for YouTube, but who had questions about the election. We'll put it that way. Um, and um, so, you know, I, I've gone through my whole experience. I've, I've even talked about... Uh, in a post that I made, which I'll, I'll link the post. If you want to see the Facebook post that I made a few days ago, um, I, I said this before some timelines started coming out, but now the timelines are out. The, the timing of this makes no sense. In fact, maybe I should just read that for you guys because um, I know some of you are still feeling like you're hammered over this. And um, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just give you this kind of this last word on it or last word for now, and then I'll analyze it a little bit. Um, before we finish this video, uh, here's here's what I wrote. This was on January 11th. Um, it's short. I'll just read it to you. I probably spent 10 hours reconstructing what happened at the Capitol. Censorship has made this process more difficult, but I think I've gotten about as far as I'll get at this point. 
Unpreparedness and chaos are both good words to describe what happened inside the Capitol. There are members of radical groups, including some sympathetic with Antifa who are present and did help instigate along with angry Trump supporters. And that is proven, by the way. Hundreds of Trump supporters made it into the Capitol. The police were totally unprepared. In some instances, the police let protesters near or inside the Capitol. In, in others, they retreated after struggling with protesters. The vast majority of those who made it into the building were ang um, made it into the building were not angry but peaceful, staying in walkway areas, picking up trash, etc. And there's videos of all of this, and uh, you can you can find videos of it on this channel. Many thought they were allowed in. Some of this is due to the fact they were not at the front of the line where, if there was a struggle, few witnessed it. In other words, people are coming from behind. They have no clue what led people to go into the Capitol. They just know that they're allowed to go into the Capitol. And don't expect a lot of the people who went in there, some, some did not. There was a lot who did not because they realized, wait a minute, hold on, that's not supposed to be. But there's a lot of people in a crowd of a million who, I mean, they don't know. They think, oh, we're allowed to go into the Capitol. So, th so that you have to understand the vantage point um, that people had. Um, it it's not like, you know, with a BLM riot, it's not like, uh, you know, there's uh, big alarms going off and uh, glasses broken everywhere and people are running out with big screen TVs, right? Obviously, you shouldn't be going into the Best Buy. <laughs> it's not like, it wasn't like that uh, for most of the people who went in. Um, so that that's all I'm saying there. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, so uh, police officers also were giving directions and allowing selfies to be taken with protesters. This also contributed to the sense that they were allowed to go in. It is important to realize that those in the front at the Capitol where agitation occurred could not have been present for all of Trump's speech, and most were probably not present for any of it. Those who listened and followed Trump's instructions arrived much later, and this is 100% true. This is why, you know, I left right basically at the end of Trump's speech towards the end. This is why by the time we even got there, it was, you know, we, we had no clue. We, there was already people there. Um, but whatever had happened uh, was already, it was already taking place, was happening um, without any of, you know, the people's knowledge. And you got to understand, we didn't have hardly, the cell phone reception was terrible until the, the order stay at home order was given all of a sudden then we all had good cell phone reception but until then it was terrible so um so anyway uh let's see those who listened like like myself and followed trump's instructions um, uh, arrived much later trump called for a peaceful march listen to his speech the end of his speech he says we're going to peacefully walk down uh pennsylvania avenue but some mainstream media reported that trump supporters were storming the capitol before his speech was even complete and this is true you could, there's a NPR, I think it was, article, 9.30 in the morning. I checked it out. They're already posting, 9.33, that Trump supporters are storming the Capitol. Um, the most loyal Trump supporters who cared about his words were not present for any of the initial confrontations. The motive of the majority, as represented in video testimony, seems to be a somewhat naive and sincere attempt to inform their representatives to not certify fraudulent electoral votes. There was a very small... But evil minority, and I need to say that, evil minority, very small, but evil, who stole items and disheveled offices, etc. So those, those who, who were involved in, in that kind of stuff. Now, and, I, and I've said, look, the, the reason I can say it's evil is because this is a disorganized mob. <laughs> that's why. Uh, there's not a legitimate authority that's saying, we're making war, we're going to come in here, we're going to be involved in espionage and stuff. Um, 
that's why I say that. Okay, just for those who you know are, are maybe uh, thinking that hey, the, like like I believe the revolution did take place inside the Capitol that that the next morning at three a.m. four a.m. Uh, when uh, well, you know what happened. <laughs> that's the revolution. The revolution is from the men in suits, not the men in boots. The men in boots are trying to prevent a revolution. Right? It's very important we understand that and don't cede any ground on that one. Um, but you don't, uh, the, the, the men in boots, if they're a mob, uh, and, and if, or, or if a very small contingent of them are, are part of this group of people and they're going to use, they're going to, um, use the, the sheer amount of people to hide and then to go do what they want to do that there there's that, that can't be sanctioned. There's no legitimate authority there. All right, let's keep going. Uh, the hundreds of thousands outside the Capitol of which I was a part had no idea of what happened inside. If the goal of the majority had been to have an insurrection, there would have been one and no one present would have stopped the crowd. The crowd did not want that. In other words, there, the crowd has surrounded the Capitol. There was enough people there. If you wanted to really have an insurrection, you could have done it, but that's not what the people wanted. This is further reinforced by the fact that many videos show Trump supporters tackling or confronting individuals they believe to be Antifa members who are, who are damaging property outside the Capitol. We witnessed no property destruction and neither did hundreds of thousands. And that's true. I, I didn't see any of that. I can speculate about why most riot police were hours late, why Capitol Police were ill-prepared and allowed and directed protesters to enter in some instances, why some of the outfits, helmets, tactical gear, etc., worn in the videos by protesters weren't present at the Trump rally, why the riot police who were present stood down, why multiple sources claim Antifa or some kind of group of radicals came from a different direction than those streaming in from the Trump rally, and the list goes on. But there are some conclusions I can reach that do not fit the media narrative. And this is where we'll get back into the Russell Moores of the world because they're just parroting the media narrative. Number one, Trump did not call for violence. He called for peace in his speech. And again, in a video, Twitter deleted. And by the way, again, last night and again, last Monday, um, he's, there's, there's now four or five times he's, he's called for peace. Number two, 98% of attendees had no participation or knowledge about what took place inside. Number three, most of the hundreds who made it inside had no desire to harm anyone or anything and remained civil. Number four, after a young lady who was not behaving violently was unexpectedly killed by an officer, those inside left and seemed both shocked and surprised violence occurred. And this is very key. It's very key. Um, multiple interviews of the people who found out about or, or were close to where this, this young lady was killed. Uh, they were done at that point. They, they, they all left, said, hold on. They didn't fight. They didn't, um, there was a lady in there who was angry that one of the, the guys who was breaking a window, right, um, in the front, so most people probably couldn't see him. He, he was an instigator, uh, and he, he got behind the police. He changed his clothes, um, wondering if the guy's even a Trump supporter. I, we don't know because there was, so many different radical elements that seem to have infiltrated the crowd beforehand before Trump even finished speaking, which, and it's a 45 minute walk. So there's no way they were there for Trump's speech anyway. Um, uh, so, so here, here, here's the thing about that though, that, that just took the wind out of the sails. So if they were really trying to do an insurrection that would have angered them and motivated them more. Hey, we're going to fight now. They didn't, they, they turned around. Number five, the lack of preparedness and incompetence on the part of whoever was controlling law enforcement can only be due to extreme negligence or evil intent. And more has come out about that now. Um, they were, I think it was six times uh, 
there was a denial of sending um, uh, National Guard in. Number six, condemning Trump or his supporters as a group for what happened is simply lying. And this gets into the, the last part here. This is what Russell Moore is doing. And this is what all the others are doing. I don't even have to read the article. This is what they're doing. They're trying to condemn Christians, Christian nationalism, any, any Christians who would have supported Trump because uh, Trump's responsible. You, you see the logical leaps. Um, minority of people do this thing that was not approved of by the vast majority, right? Even in that audience. Uh blame the audience they're all they're all a mob they're all part of of this they're all uh, somehow you know revolutionaries that are trying to go you know uh rip rip down our system which when that's really the opposite is going on but um but but that's the first play and you, you got to make a leap there that's not that that's an unargued for premise number two uh the second unargued for premise is that donald trump's responsible he planned this he he motivated the whole thing well that that's actually just a lie because he said he, well, let's march peacefully. So there's no, and he's condemned it, etc. So, um, so that that's a, that's just another leap. That's a lie. And then you have to make the third leap, which is every single person who voted Trump. That's what they voted for. In fact, I had a reporter from a mainstream news publication reach out to me last night, and those are some of the questions he was asking. In fact, maybe I should pull that up for you, um, and, uh, and and show you what I what I wrote back if I still have it here. I think I do somewhere. Let's see. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't expecting to go into all this detail, but now that, that the juices are flowing in my mind, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, <laughs> I, I'm thinking differently about it because I know you guys are getting hammered out there and I want to give you something to be able to respond to some of this. So, um, let me, let me do that. Uh, so here, here's, there's a reporter that reached out to me. I'm going to read for you what he, the questions he asked, because they're relating to this, this last point is everyone who voted for Trump responsible for Viking man, right? Number one, he he asks me, uh, do Trump do pro Trump Christians have anything to apologize for as some now claim? Why or why not? And I said most Christians who supported Donald Trump did so because they believed he was a better option than Joe Biden for preserving religious liberty, promoting a pro life agenda, and preventing totalitarian policies. Donald uh, Trump called for a peaceful march. Those who in initiated forced entries into the Capitol could not have been present for most of his speech. The hundreds of thousands who listened to his speech and showed up later, including Christians, were peaceful and had no knowledge that anything illegal had or was taking place. And this is very key, guys. Jesus himself did not apologize to his political enemies, right? Scribes, Pharisees, are political enemies, for the sinful tendencies which existed in the crowds that followed him, even if they made his opponents nervous. You can go to Luke 25 through 6, and there's many examples, but... The, the Pharisees were afraid of the crowds. And so Jesus says, hey, who, what, of what baptism was John the Baptist, right? Doug Wilson made this point in, a, in an article. Um, of what baptism was John the Baptist? Was he from heaven? Was he from, from men? And the Pharisees said, oh, well, what are we going to do? Uh, if, if, if we say from, from heaven, he's going to say, why did you not believe him? If we say, uh, you know, it's not from heaven, then the crowd is going to stone us. Uh, what do we do? So, so the crowd following Jesus at that point they, they would have stoned those who questioned John's baptism, or at least they're afraid of this violent tendency. And you, you remember the political situation is, is volatile at that point as well. Jesus didn't then, you know, I'm going to release a statement of condemnation and take responsibility for all my terrible followers. Um, Jesus actually went into the temple and started overturning tables. So it's, it's an interesting, if you look at just the example of Jesus, 
um, he wouldn't do what Russell Moore is doing. He wouldn't be like, I'm going to take responsibility for all these you know, Christians who voted for Trump because I'm a Christian too. And no, that's ridiculous. You're responsible for what you're responsible for. You're not responsible for what other people. And so, so that, this, this is just a basic Christian principle. So I, I, I told him um, that uh, Christianity teaches that guilt and repentance are only required for one's actions, not the actions of others. Number two, reporter asks me, Will Christians be vilified for supporting Trump, just as pro-Trumpers in social media are being vilified? Should or will there be calls to temper language and whatnot at churches so as not to incite violence? Why or why not? My response, Christians who supported President Trump have already been vilified by people in their own denominations, including Russell Moore, David French, and Tim Keller. It is likely, given the way totalitarians generally behave, that churches which hold more conservative beliefs on marriage, abortion, and religious freedom will be targeted by political opponents because freedom of speech and conscience are fading from the public square under the pretense of preserving safety. It is certain churches who do not endorse official narratives will become targets. And third question, should Biden weigh in on the above? If so, what should he say or do? And what I said is it would be wise for Biden to realize there are millions of devout Christians who do not support many of his policies and will use any legal and peaceful means they can to resist what they see as an attack on their faith. For Biden to successfully gain the respect of Christians, he would need to take his own Catholic faith's teaching on abortion, family, and socialism seriously. So you, you might have said something better or different. I mean, I, I wrote this very late at night and very quickly, but, um, but, but th this is the kind of thing a mainstream news reporter is asking me. This is the kind of thing that's on that's on people's minds, and and there's there's a few premises. Um, I, I already explained to you all the logical jumps you have to do, but there's a few things that I just want to point out. Number one, there's an assumption here that the Capitol is somehow sacred, and our constitutional process is sacred, but that the Capitol itself. I mean, Nancy Pelosi got on the camera and started talking about this is the temple of democracy, right? After a full summer, spring and summer of riots, of ripping down our country's history, destroying monuments to the Founding Fathers, to Columbus, renaming things. I'm not even talking about all the, 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 the stuff in the South, the Confederate monuments, etc. I'm talking just, just the, the, the American, you know, uh, that, that everyone north, south, east, or west says, hey, these are some heroes. They're being ripped down, guys. Ripped down before our eyes. And the Democrats applauded with glee. You know, you know what they said about protesters. You know what Big Eva said about those protests. We've got to understand them. We've got to, uh, in, in many ways, they supported the narrative that led to it, etc. And I debunked the narrative at every turn. Um, I tried to debunk it biblically. I tried to debunk, debunk it historically, where it could be debunked historically. And you, you saw what they did. Now we're seeing history rewritten before our eyes. And one of the features of this rewriting is that somehow, all of a sudden, with the with the the flip of a switch, now the Capitol, the rotundra, the the where the Senate and the the House where they meet, it's sacred. Capitol building is sacred. All those great big uh, pictures of George Washington and and even even people like John C. Calhoun are in there, right? Um, Daniel Webster. All these people that you know BLM thinks are, are racist, um, and, and 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 they think that their ideas—I should put it this way—all all these people that BLM thinks all their ideas stemmed from some kind of a racist agenda. That's the issue. It's not whether they're racist. It's do their ideas stem from racist agendas? The things they're known for, the things we respect them for. 
all these men, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you know, they, they are housed in the temple for democracy. Well, I hope you caught that because it's going to flip real quick once BLM gets it's moving again, when it's time to rip down our country's history. You're not going to hear that talk anymore. It only works on the right. It only works to people who care about this country's history and the ideas that made it what it is. It doesn't, the, the BLM folks, the Antifa folks, they don't care about any of that. So that, that is one of the, the, the key things that I don't hear anyone talking about, but you can, you can, you can see it, that they're, they're, they're channeling 1995 uh, and, and a sense of tradition, right, to make you ashamed, to make you appalled that you would have voted for Donald Trump. Because Donald Trump is now, he's against that tradition. He's against that American tradition that you respect and honor, except it's not true, guys. It's not true. The people who are forwarding that narrative are the ones against the tradition that you respect and love. And they're using what you love against you. That's the play. Second thing, um, they're assuming a systemic problem in Trump, uh, in the right, in churches that voted, uh, they're more conservative. Um this is what we've been, I, I, I've tried to show you this all along, that this was a setup from the beginning. Because all white people is such a broad group, right? You, you think about Germany for, for, for a minute. You think about the Jews, right? Small enough, powerful group in, in many ways, but small enough, you could vilify them. And what's happening right now is white people is a very, that, that's just a very broad group. They're going to specify it. Because it became white people who weren't woke, right? Those were the real problematic people. And it's getting narrower. White people, how do you know if they weren't woke? Well, one of the signs is, did they vote for Donald Trump? Uh, or were they, uh, were they, you know, first were they at the Capitol march, and then did they vote for Donald Trump? And then they are, basically, you can deplatform those people, uh, dox them, get rid of their businesses, you can persecute those people. And if you remember how that vilification in Germany started, it wasn't, you were going to have camps right away. It started slowly and it started with making you, you were an island, you were isolated, could not partake in business. That was the first step. And that step is already happening. And we're not going to go that, we're, you know, it's going to be different in the United States. We're probably going to go more Maoist kind of way. Um, it's going to be a combination of a few different things. Technology is going to play a big part in it. Uh, but um, if you believe, right, if you believe that in some way the, there was something fishy about the election, you are, you're the worst kind of person. It's, it's, you want to call it depersoning, the vilification, you're the problem. You're going to, the scapegoat thing, you're going to become the one that bears all the blame. That's the play that they're running right now. What, what Buffalo Man did, you know, in the Capitol, you were, you're responsible for that if you forwarded this idea that there was something fishy about the election. Now, that's a lie, obviously. Um, all the people who think there's something fishy about the election uh, weren't, you know, going into the Capitol. And I, I just walked you through all of that. Um, but what if, you know, what, what if, uh, you know, what, what if all that was true? And, and I think it is. Um, I, I, I believe very strongly it is. What if all that stuff about the election is true? And Buffalo Man uh, believed that, and he went and did something he shouldn't have done. What do you, who do you blame for that? What do you blame for that? If the narrative is true, it's true, just objectively. You can't blame something objectively true for something uh, that someone take, that, you know, for an action someone takes when they learn about that truth, right? If it's true, it's true. It doesn't matter. You can't take something that's true and say, well, it's not true because of the effect that it brought. 
um, or, or what people did with that. D- irrelevant. Doesn't matter, right? But that's the postmodern play, guys. See it. See in what Russell Moore is doing right now. That's the postmodern play. It's it's not true, not because it was objectively disproven. How many people have you tried, have you heard, even try to objectively disprove this? Why? Well, I, I gonna I'm gonna go through your facts. And no, you never get those discussions. It's just, well, you're an evil person. You're an evil person because you believe that. That's the postmodernism, guys. We we've I've tried to to point this out, and now we're seeing it. We're seeing it right before our eyes. And it's subtle and it's repeated often enough. But, but we're entering a postmodern age. Objective truth doesn't matter anymore. What happened at the Capitol doesn't matter anymore. What matters is the perception and whether or not they can, they can use it to vilify. Don't let them do it. Don't let them vilify uh, based on that. So, um, so it's this, they're, they're applying the systemic principle and, and saying burn the whole thing down. Anything associated with Trump. And of course, you will get leniency if you, if you reject if you reject the supposed lie, if you say, "Well, no, the, everything was was good in the election. It was there. There was n- no problems with it." Then you you might be able to gain some kind of redemption, and you know he he saw the error of his ways. He apologized for it. That's what they're trying to do, and they're going to try to break the opposition. It is a political play completely, and it's masquerading as a spiritual play in the church, and you can butter it up and put all sorts of spiritual language about how aghast and how horrified you are and and it's the most awful thing um but but it's all fake guys it's all fake (laughs) it's not you can feel those emotions but it doesn't make those emotions true just because you feel something and um it's time for true men who see objective truth i'm talking about men in in church leadership positions to just you need to talk about it you need to talk about this those who are pastors who who are watching this or listening you do need to address this with your congregation, guys. You need to walk them through. And you can use this even as an example of how to think uh, objectively um, and, and, uh, and, and then as well um, to prepare them for what's coming next because uh, many people don't realize how the vilification is going to reach them and what it will do to them. So um, this, is, this is something, I mean, we're, we're at just... For people who who think, well, you know, where is that in the Bible? Where here's the, here's the thing: we're in such a basic spot, like like the the basic truths of Scripture, like you shouldn't lie, that kind of thing, right? That's where we are. That's that's what the issue's over. That's what the battles are, are over. Like, is lying even okay? Um, these are like the most basic Christian doctrines. You don't need to be a theologian to even talk about these things and try to understand them correctly. Uh, and accurately represent uh, the truth in the situation. It's we're literally there. You know, should you should people be uh, you know responsible for things that they didn't commit? If if you let, let's say there's a narrative that was false, a complete false narrative. Oh, let's take a Black Lives Matter narrative, right? And there's a, there's a lot there's a lot about that narrative that's completely false, right? There there's some things that are they mix they mix things together, but. Um, that, that the current, you know, police system, et cetera, it's all somehow it's provable that this is against, um, uh, a certain population in this country. And, um, and there are no ways to rectify it. Um, the only thing to do is we must, uh, you know, get rid of the police or something crazy like that. Right. And then, and then all policemen are just broad brushed, right. With this, that's a lie. That's a lie because that's not um, that's not true. And I've gone through in this podcast before, and I've shown you why that's not true. And that's at the level that we, uh, we we engage with it. We say, well, that's a lie. Let's let's whip out the statistics. 
Let's talk about um, the uh, well, let's talk about the incarceration rate. Let's talk about um, the disparities and what they could be attributed to. Let's talk about uh, the police shootings and the all that kind of stuff. Um, let's let's uh, more importantly, why don't you prove to us? You know, you have this this narrative. Prove it to us. Show us. You know, we're open ears here. Uh, why is why why in this particular situation? Why do you assume racism had something to do with it? You know, make them go on the defensive. Make them prove these things. Um, so so let's say um, there were people like uh, well Nancy Pelosi, uh, <laughs> to being one. Uh, you know, anchors on the news uh, like uh, Cuomo uh, Cuomo's brother on CNN and. Um, and, and they're saying things like, you know what, you know, AOC said even stuff like this, uh, our, our, you know, Kamala Harris said stuff like this. Uh, the riots aren't going to end. They, and, they, and they shouldn't end, as Kamala Harris said. Or, um, you know, this is, these are people that are, uh, you know, they're doing a good thing by pointing out all these problems. Meanwhile, they're burning things down. Then you can make the argument because you can of responsibility because you can attach a leader's words to what's going on directly because they're being direct about it. You don't have that situation here with Donald Trump. You have a man who has called for peace how many times, including before anything happened at the Capitol. And yet they're making the attachment because it's this invisible, systemic, you know, et cetera, issue. There's a difference between the conservatives and the progressives in this. The conservatives actually listen to people's words and take them seriously. And they're not looking for whistle, you know, dog whistles, etc. The left operates on dog whistles, and uh, and they'll go beyond it. They they'll they'll go beyond their dog whistle. But the left is constantly looking for anything, uh, and they'll make it up if they don't have it that they could possibly connect, and then they vilify. That's uh, what Ordernos or, or uh, F scale was about. Uh, he's part of the Frankfurt School. Uh, you know, oh, there's fascist tendencies if you love your family too much you know he'll get you to be a fascist in th two steps or less and that's what's going on now uh you if any connection to donald trump or you know uh, he probably even loving this country to some extent uh in the way traditionally people love this country you don't want foreign powers influencing things etc you'll, you'll become a villain in two steps or less that's the play and we just got to reject it that's all and we're gonna take some hits yeah okay people will think we're bad they'll say names about us yep Yep, they will. Um, this is why Paul Washer said years ago, it's not, people aren't going to, you're not going to go to jail for being a Christian. You're not going to be persecuted because, oh, we're, we're persecuting the Christians. It will be because you're bigots and they're going to attach you to something. That's why. So hopefully that, that was helpful to you. I also want to say uh, tomorrow I'm getting on a plane. I'm going to, we're going to start the documentary uh, process with the Nini's Deli. Um, and, and you can watch my uh, interview with Juan Riesco if you want to know more about that, or you just even go to DuckDuckGo, put in the news, put in Nini's Deli, and you'll see what we're talking about. Uh, I'm going to put in the info section, if you want to donate to that project um, to help us out, to, to get the story out there, then we would really appreciate it. It just converges all sorts of things, the social justice movement, uh, the, uh, the, the church and, and, you know, what the, what the church is doing in response to it, etc. Um, the gospel is going to be presented. We're putting it out there, guys. We're not backing down. We are, despite the media blackout, we're going to keep going. And, uh, and I'll have more announcements for you, uh, as far as media alternatives. You can, you can already go into the info section, see all the places, all the alternative social media you can find me at. And, uh, and we're going to stay connected. So, Hey, God bless you. Have a good weekend. Worship the Lord. 
in gladness. And with the righteous indignation and the sorrow that's in your heart, I totally understand. Go to him with that. And then we're going to keep going, guys. We're going to keep going. Uh, we, this doesn't change our mission. Um, and in fact, uh, maybe we got to ramp it out, up, uh, cut out the fat and, and, and make, you know, make yourself useful, uh, whether that's prayer, whether, you know, we're, it's going to look different for all of us. Um, it could, could be that, um, you know, you're going to, uh, be involved in the church more. It could be that you're going to be involved in the political environment more now. Um, get involved guys. Uh, we, we, we have to, there's, there's no other way around it. So, uh, God bless you all. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.